Good evening. It is 8.45 p.m. here on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., uh, March 5th, 2021. My name is Nicholas Klein, and this is my co-host, Casey Chambers, on the Wonkcast. Casey, how's it going today? Good evening, Nick. Uh, it's going well. I presumably passed a midterm today and am excited to talk about climate change. From what I understand, you know a lot about it. So, you know, in fact, may or may not have written an entire paper on it. So uh, I am going to, and specifically, it's about the ETS today, the European Union, uh, the European Union ETS. Um, I am going to, uh, emissions trading system is what ETS stands for, mm-hmm. um, for the for the uh, for some of our listeners, um, and I'm going to let you uh, take it away. All right. Um, just <laughs> just for the record, I do not know everything about climate change, but I am relatively knowledgeable about how uh, carbon is priced specifically in the European Union, uh, and as we have moved into phase three in 2021. Uh, greenhouse gases uh, in, in total have been priced. So um, the history of international law when it comes to uh, climate change uh, begins with the Kyoto Protocol, which uh, generally laid out standards, the idea that uh, climate change uh, and the, the greenhouse gas uh, global warming effect was something that governments need to respond to but didn't have many uh, legally binding uh, restrictions to it or uh, measures to do so. And the process of the European Union, who to their credit is a leader on uh, climate action to get there took a while. So in 2007, uh, 12,000 uh, uh, polluting installations in the European Union were subject to the emissions trading system. Uh, what, <clears throat> what this system is, is it prices uh, emissions uh, according to uh, whatever the market deems it. Uh, it is a cap and trade system. So in uh, every year, 1.47% uh, reduction in the total volume of credits distributed uh, to uh, countries and entities that are polluters. And as needed, uh, companies can buy or sell credits that they uh, use or don't use. So if, for example, let's say that you're a coal-fired power plant uh, allocated 1,000 credits and you use 9,000 credits in a year, well, then you need to go out to the market and buy uh, 8,000 uh, emissions allowances. <clears throat> Conversely, if you are a public utility and you are allocated 10,000 credits and you use 7,000 because you invested in uh, solar power and wind power and energy efficiency, then you can sell your credits on the market. Um, and this creates a market for emissions in the European Union and importantly prices uh, carbon emissions um, with the goal of course being that 
uh, firms knowing that there is a financial cost of their polluting activities will then be uh, motivated to invest in mitigation uh, of further pollution and research and development into more green and efficient processes. Uh, so the first phase was from 2005 to 2007, uh, where it was really just large, um, heavily uh, polluting firms. Uh, from 2007 to 2012, the second phase um, <clears throat> expanded the amount of members in ETS. Uh, also, uh, Norway, Iceland, and Liechtenstein, who are uh, members of the uh, common market, uh, <clears throat> chose to join the join the scheme to be uh, consistent with European Union law because this is uh, a, a legally binding policy mechanism. And aviation was included. A couple other industries um, from 2012 to 2020. Uh, this has increased further. And finally, in uh, 2021, we're now in another phase where uh, more greenhouse gases are being covered under this, uh, more emissions are being priced. There's no longer distribution of credits to firms. Uh, firms are just required to go out and purchase uh, emissions credits uh, as they're auctioned by the commission, or you can buy them on the, on the private market again. Interestingly enough, one of the main uh, consumers of these credits are banks and hedge funds and, and financial institutions that treat it as a currency similar to uh, the dollar or the yen or the euro for uh, speculation and investment. Uh, the other thing that we should note is the market stability reserve program. Uh, basically, uh, the price history of these credits or that um, in, in the early days, they were about you know, $40 per uh, metric ton. Oh, sorry, I'm an American, it's <laughs> dollars 40 euros per metric ton. And I mean, do dollars and euros are roughly interchangeable uh, at this point. I make the same mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, 40, 40 euros per metric ton. But as 2008 uh, happened, and the European Union uh, assumed uh, that uh, investment in mitigation of greenhouse gases would be relatively uh, expensive and difficult to do, which proved to not be the case, which was, a, which was a climate success. You are emitting less, you are on track, your targets ahead. Uh, the other uh, contributing factor here was the 2008 financial crisis, which uh, necessarily reduced uh, emissions as well as economic activity decreased. Um, emissions and uh, economic growth are very tightly correlated for obvious reasons. Right. But the price was falling to, you know, six, seven euros uh, a metric ton. And these emissions were getting, then uh, these emissions guys were getting very, very cheap and stayed that way up until, you know, almost uh, up until today and then until 2018 when they started to uh, rise again. And if the, if the goal of your program is to incentivize continuous, uh, serious increased research time, uh, year over year into further mitigation, and your 
pace of reducing the amount of credits available in the system uh, and their, their price is dropping, then uh, further mitigation isn't happening. So the European Union uh, declined to release uh, credits that they had intended to uh, in what was called the market stability reserve. Basically, the commission would hold uh, 900 million emissions credits uh, in reserve and wouldn't release those to the market unless certain uh, uh, requirements were met. Uh, either the, the price in a quarter would jump to uh, more than 100% of the previous two-year average, or if the amount of uh, credits in circulation dropped below 400 million, and at a certain point in time, uh, they could potentially be canceled. Although the legal mechanism for doing so is not necessarily clear because it is yet to be decided whether the, uh, uh, well, if, if, the if the council doesn't have, if, if member state governments don't have concerns about it, then the, Euro the European Union can just cancel those credits. But that is potentially the case, and it's not sure what, it's not clear whether the commission has the legal authority to cancel credits that under law they said would be released. So here we are today, where it's about 40, 40 euros per uh, emissions credit again, the system is functioning as it should, and the European Union is on track to meet its uh, carbon neutrality goal by 2050 and reducing emissions by 55% by 2055. So you mentioned the European Commission and what its powers are in this. And I would imagine the body that balances that out is the European Parliament. So where is the European Parliament in all of this? Uh, the Parliament, uh, by and large, uh, fully supports the emissions training system. Uh, there are concerns, especially amongst uh, uh, further left green groups, that the uh, stated goals of the European Union and the policies in place to get to the uh, get to the carbon neutrality by 2050, 2050 are not in place and there needs to be further investment uh, and further policy. There is the European Green Deal that right. would lay out uh, in investment and uh, further regulation, uh, setting emission standards, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and also make uh, that uh, neutrality, carbon neutrality goal by 2050, not just uh, legally binding under international law through the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, but also through European Union law. And I believe actually amend the uh, treaties of the European Union to make that uh, part of their con uh, de facto constitution. And we can, we can have a discussion of uh, Right, what counts as the European Constitution. legal system at a different time. Uh, so that, those would be like the Treaty of Lisbon, Treaty of Rome, mm -hmm. Treaty of Paris. Union the Treaty so that would be pretty significant. Yes and no. Um, the European Union is uh, politically more agile than the United States amending the Constitution while a, sorry, that amending the de facto constitution while a um, serious uh, measure and one that isn't taken lightly is also not the same level of uh, rarity as, as happens in the US. 
So are you comfortable talking about specifics, maybe, in terms of uh, the types of sectors that are covered under this? I mean, you, you already mentioned, you mentioned a lot about CO2, mm-hmm. um, but there's others that are covered uh, here. Um, you know, just uh, with nitri- nitrous oxide, which is so that, you know, comes from the production of, well, uh, nitric a- ADA pick, ADA pick, uh, and uh, glyoxylic acids uh, and glyoxyl itself. Um, and then uh, PFCs or perfluorocarbons, PFCs for short, which comes from aluminum, right, uh, aluminum production. Uh, those are currently covered under phase four, I believe, as well as uh, methane. Um, I could, I don't know all the uh, all the specific gases off the top of my head, but the the, the general sentiment and uh, regulatory uh, approach is to increase the amount of gases that are subject to both the uh, uh, annual. Um, uh, reductions in availability. Uh, there, there, there is a European Union legal maximum that uh, can be produced, and that that decreases every year. Uh, they they actually increased it um, as as a result of their success, I believe, to like two, or, or approximately two percent, rather than that one point, uh, rather than that, rather than that subtracting one point four seven percent number. Yeah, two point two percent as of twenty twenty one. Yes, and there is. Uh, discussions in Parliament to potentially increase that number further. Would that be, and this is maybe more, um, this is more your opinion, uh, you know, this is more um, normative, I guess. Um, would you Would you think that's problematic or no? On a domestic political level, in some countries, that would certainly be problematic. There is a tension between uh, stated policy and goals, where it's easy to say, we want to be clean and we want to be green, versus the actual cost to do so. Who And, and furthermore, who bears that cost? Right. Um, is that uh, the poor regions of Poland paying for it? is the German government uh, subsidizing it themselves? And, and, the, and the, the answer is going to be it's a mix of everyone involved because it is a European Union-wide effort. But the, the distribution of responsibilities and payments is a serious concern that needs to be worked out, especially when you're drafting new uh, uh, laws like the uh, European and Green Deal. Um, the the ETS was negotiated many many years ago at this point. Uh, yeah, amending it uh, like in the case of removing um, market stability reserve credits is a politically sensitive issue. So if there's going to be political cost to this, then <laughs> I mean, does this impact? like expansion, <laughs> European Union expansion, uh, uh, because I would think if there was a new member state that has to, you know, wants to join the EU, uh, I would think they'd have to buy by the ETS, unless I have 
It's all totally wrong. Do not join the, you do not join the European Union and pick and choose which um, laws of the Aki Communitaire you intend to follow. You, right. you are exactly training system whenever you join. Uh, the economic value of the European Union is probably beyond whatever the national costs of uh, agreeing to uh, be a greener country, as well as you get aid in reducing your emissions. So I don't think it's a massive concern. Okay. I mean, it's it's certainly a, a factor in the same way that uh, installing national anti-corruption bodies or uh, amending uh, tariffs and right structures and your police and all that is a is a challenge here in the european union but uh, it, it's also it's a step among many and not a owner and not a more onerous than other uh steps are more difficult than, than other um parts of getting in the european union now well, i would also just think from a um numerical standpoint you know the more members you have the more emissions you're going to have to control just by the nature of getting bigger um which i guess i mean maybe maybe this is a dumb question but you know what happens if a country what kind of penalties could be put in on a country if they don't follow i mean there's already mechanisms in place on you know you know paying fines and stuff like that for countries that already don't follow other laws in the European Union that maybe don't follow laws from the high court. Mm-hmm. But this is, you know, this is climate related stuff. This isn't like, you know, oh, you're not taking down your tariff kind of thing. This is, this is bigger. Wow. So what, you know, are there any measures in place to, it, it, how should we say, incentivize a country to, Mm, how should we say uh, go greener <laughs> well i mean sure there, there, there are incentives in the for regional and local governments there are uh, massive subsidies available for green projects uh, the european union has increased uh funding uh significantly as part of uh green investment in their uh next uh seven-year uh, multi-annual financial fl- framework in regards to countries intentionally ignoring uh, legally binding uh, emissions caps as part of uh, ETS and the European Union uh, climate response. I don't think that's likely or going to happen. Um, If they did, the commission could bring an action against a member state uh, to the Court of Justice of the European Union, who then has uh, ability to levy uh, fines, uh, right? Rule that a rule that a country is out of line with uh, European Union law and dictate steps to uh, get into compliance. And then, I guess the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate punishment is you get thrown out of the thrown out of the block if you uh, ignore the ignore the legal standards. And there are certain unnamed countries that for other reasons, <clears throat> if they continue on the trajectory that they are, can, can face that. But in, 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 the, in the same way that adhering to ETS or uh, European Union climate standards isn't 
the main issue for countries uh, seeking accession to the European Union. It also is not the main sticking point for countries that have issues with the with the EU or the Commission. The the bigger question that we uh, face is whether or not the uh, European Green Deal passes, because in my opinion, I don't think that that ETS and existing uh, policy on the on the docket is enough. It also likely requires and this, this is basic economics. 40 euros a metric ton pricing is significant. And there is a clear market signal to firms that they should be reducing their emissions. But getting to net zero by 2050 is a different a different level of investment and commitment than reducing by 2% a year. So then where, where is the European Green Deal in currently standing in, in the European Parliament? What are its prospects? Or is, are its prospects not good, mediocre? Well, um, Parliament is generally not the sticking point of the European Union. Um, and, the, and this is the case here. Uh, as, as far as I'm aware, uh, short the Eurosceptic parties who are generally against expansion of European, European Union and Commission powers in any uh, context, most parties are for it. Uh, I believe it would pass today if it was voted on. Uh, the issue is getting uh, council to go along. Right. And council has... Uh, veto power if even one member state uh, has significant uh, obligations. And so, that, that I'm, I'm referencing an informal agreement amongst council that any uh, state can uh, state that a, any state can state one to line and that any, any member state can object uh, to uh, a European Union law uh, that goes against their significant national interest and out of respect for yeah. the, the, the other countries have agreed not to pursue it if the country exercises that informal right. So it, it, as many things in the EU, it continues to be a, a political battle at council and to see whether countries will go along with it. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, I hope they go along with it. Um, it's probably necessary to get to where you need to be. But... Right, where they need to be, of course. Hmm. The, the European Union is also significantly further ahead here on many yeah, things. Right, yeah, than, than other countries. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're the gold standard and they want to be the platinum standard. So, right. In, 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 in many ways, they have... Uh, an international obligation maybe is the wrong word, but certainly an uh, international incentive to uh, be in the lead, which which then would encourage, in theory, uh, good behavior among and cooperation among its uh, member states within regards to the ETS. I would Absolutely. Assume. Uh, as, a, as a single entity, the European Union leads the world on climate responsiveness. Uh, it's a significant portion of their 
uh, international diplomacy. There are European Union funds available to uh, developing countries to uh, invest in green technology, um, renewable energy, etc. And UTS and their their domestic um, policy considerations are, are part of being a being a global climate leader. Uh, they're they're also trying to drag the <laughs> the U.S. and China kicking and screaming along with them. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, that'll be a. Uh... And this, in the 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 international context of uh, climate politics, we can have another episode on, as we get into. Uh, closer to uh, COP twenty six in Glasgow, uh, I think this has been enough for this episode. Uh, as we head into the next week, the sneak peek for anyone listening: the the next uh, episode of the podcast will be about. Uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, we decided that we needed to have a positive uh, episode uh, this week, so we discussed climate change. Uh, As you can see, well, yeah, you know, this is a, it's a pretty straightforward, this week was a pretty straightforward episode. Uh, it's not, you know, um, it's not too depressing. Obviously, climate change is a scary thought. You know, the year, what was it, the year 20, 2100 is, is a key marker. 2030 is a key marker in this. Uh, 2050 is a key marker also. Um, obviously, you know, the thought of climate change and, uh, you know, being caused by us humans is not necessarily a positive thought, but, um, and all, of course, all the disasters that could go along with it, but uh, I think it's very positive to have a system in place, um, like what the EU, in for example, what the EU is doing, and you know that would essentially, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a positive, it's a it's a positive, uh, possibly a positive sign of things to come, shall we say? So, absolutely, the the EU is well on their way, and the the ETS is a key component of their climate policy, and it remains to be seen whether any further strengthening will happen. Well, with that, I wish you a good evening, good morning, good afternoon, or good night to any listeners. Wherever you are. And wherever you are in the world. Catch us next time. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye.